Welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by the magazine Pom Pom Quarterly. This episode's sponsors are Nature's Luxury. Nature's Luxury stands for exclusive yarns and fibres in exquisite, natural and unique blends. Their yarns are passionately and skillfully hand-dyed in their studio, opening a whole universe of colours. They are produced traditionally, some organically, with emphasis on the preservation of the environment and nature's balance. Nature's Luxury are equally committed to bringing the most luscious blends to you as supporting rare and endangered breed-specific yarns. These are sourced from small breeders and developed locally in close collaboration with the finest spinning mills, providing their expertise and producing high-quality yarns. In addition to their own pattern line, Nature's Luxury work with independent designers to present sophisticated patterns for the fashionable hand knitter. Find more of their yarns and patterns at naturesluxury.com. Welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly and Pom Pom Press. Oh boy, hey, we should definitely say that. That's true. They're basically the same thing in case people get confused. (laughs) They are two sides of the same coin. Sisters, but not twins. No. (laughs) Like eyebrows. (laughs) You heard that saying? Yes. Welcome to this podcast. We talk about knitting and eyebrows. And uh, (laughs) And that's Sophie. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm Sophie Scott. And this is Lydia Clark. Very good. <laughs> We've just had a very nice morning. We have indeed. It's been very exciting. We're probably going to just launch right in. Yeah. Also, we haven't done like a classic podcast recording, I think, for a while. That's true, because we had the Pomfest one. We had Juju. Then we had Juju, which was awesome. Um, so yeah, we're back to just us in uh, you know room studio. Um but, yes. more seriously, oh boy. today, um, if you've been listening to this podcast of late, you will know that we, uh, as in Pom Pom, have been working on a book with Bristol Ivy, who is a well-renowned designer and just all-round cool person. Um, so we've been working on a book with her called Knitting Outside the Box, and there's been many a sneakity-peakity on <sighs> the social media. <laughs> and also, um, in, I think we announced it when we were in Edinburgh. At the beginning of this year, we had Bristol's guest host. Mm -hmm. She sort of said, hey, I'm making this thing. Yeah, so it's been, you know, a long time in the works. And today we had the very great pleasure of going to Enfield Lock in North London to go to a binders to see the book being bound. And it's a hardcover, our first ever hardcover published item. Um, We were seeing that being stuck onto the book. It was pretty exciting. So much of it was like automated like they had people along the way Mm -hmm. like shuffling things but it's amazing just watching this whole beautiful machinery kind of guide these sheets of paper and then we watched it being stitched together and all kind of these like rollers of glue like gluing this uh the spine onto like the binding and then the front hard covers getting like sucked up into the (laughs) thing and then being smoothed down yeah all the machines are they look quite sort of like you know it's quite loud Mm -hmm. quite kind of industrial but all the machines very gently touch the paper or turn it round to the right way yeah it's really really cool i especially liked the sewing machine aspect because it's sewn binding um I did a sewing motion with my hand there for Sophie's benefit only. Oh, yes. That's sewing, sewing, yes. And um, the nice man who showed us round explained that it works more or less as a sewing machine does. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so they sew all the sections and then they... uh, And I really liked seeing that it just sewn without uh, any of the tape on it. Yeah, we saw the naked book. We saw the naked book. Without the hard (laughs) book. It was all very exciting. And on the way there, we were kind of saying, oh, 
what if they give us a few advanced copies? And they did! She got a sack of books. <laughs> sack of books to take home. Um, but the main uh, release of the book, of course, or the pre-release will be at Rhinebeck, which is now really only about three or four weeks away. Yeah. So you can pre-order your copy either via the Pom Pom website, which is pompommag.com, if you didn't know already, or if you are one of the lucky people who are going to Rhinebeck, our friends at Merit Bookstore um, have organised a pre-order that you can do through their website and pick it up at Rhinebeck. Yeah, so many, many options. Um, and of course, we'll be you know releasing more information about the book uh, in the time between now and its official releases, yeah. <laughs> because there are several. So it's all very, very exciting and was very cool to hold the book in our hands. Yeah, coming soon. <laughs> so that was like, first off, extreme news, mm -hmm. hot off the press. Literally. <laughs> Quite literally. Hot off, oh, so hot <laughs> off the press. <laughs> Steaming hot. And uh, well, we should do a little introduction. Hey, how are you, Lydia? What have you been doing? Hey, you uh, went to a binders recently. <laughs> I did, and it was delightful. I'm good. I was in Austin recently, yes. uh, where Megan lives, of course, for those of you who aren't 100% familiar. And um, Megan is the co-finder, even if you're not that familiar yeah. <laughs> in that way. Yes. So Megan lives in Austin and I went there to do our winter photo shoot with her and various other businessy bits and bobs, um, including a visit to a nice uh, fabric shop. Yes. <laughs> Very important. Eating some burritos. Yep. E eating some delicious Mexican food. Um, enjoying a small amount of sunshine. It was very sunny while I was there. Nice. So the shoot was beautiful. Um, lots of kind of jewelly tones, some lovely brioche you can expect. Delicious. Delicious, exactly. And then we went straight from there, more or less, or I went straight from there to Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. I went to Yarndale, my first Yarndale. <gasps> oh. And Amy had been saying, oh, you're really like, I think you'll really like this festival. You know what? I really like that festival. <laughs> I feel like it is very much a Sophie style. It's uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm from Yorkshire. Exactly. So many of the places where we were deeply imbued into my childhood, and I really like sheep and dales, so <laughs> I was pretty happy. Yeah, we had a nice spot as well. Um, so Yarndale is in an auction mart. Yeah, we get given a pen. We're like, we're pen 124, and you're where <laughs> the sheep would have been held for the auction. Exactly, which is quite um, well. It just feels genuine good to be going back yeah. to uh, those kind of roots. And it means that there's lots of actual sheep, including um, Daughter of a Shepherd brought some of her Hebridean yeah. sheep along and they were very handsome. There's some very pretty sheep. I can't remember whose they were now. <gasps> those ones that looked like little dolls. Yeah. Oh, what were they? They were beautiful. Damn, should have written it down. No. Anyway, it's very busy being at shows. There's always all these things you want to do, but then you, you know, spend a lot of time uh, wondering when your next cup of tea might arrive. Talking yeah. to lots of very nice people, including many pomcats, came yeah. to say hello. We like we say, we always like people coming to say hello, and people come and say hello. That's really cool. So yeah, that was good. What I was gonna say is, we were next to a kind of open part of the auction. Mark. Yes, uh, and so we had a view across the dales from our that very we stand. Did. It was very nice. Uh, so that was nice, and we were saying, and this is no slight on any other show, but that the tea at Yarndale is second to none. Yes. And it's also a show where you can get a pie with mushy peas and mint sauce. So I was very happy. <laughs> and a really good caramel shortbread. Oh, we yeah. were obsessed. <laughs> Me in particular, I bought like five of them to bring back to London. Yeah, they were good. <laughs> so we were well fed at Yarn. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had a really good time. Thanks to everybody who stopped by. It was nice to see you all. I was going to say, people probably won't see us until next year with shows. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I. That's just news, in case you're looking to say hello to us anytime soon, sorry. Yeah. We're not going to be in here. 
Um, and uh, how about you, Sophie? What have you been up to? Well, I have been adventuring and I went to Iceland. Another place famous for its woolly oh, wonders. Oh, yes. I was very excited about the wolves. <laughs> and uh, it's beautiful. It's like another planet. It's just... Uh, I think I knew how special it was, the fact that I kept thinking, like, oh, I can't wait to tell so-and-so that they have to come to Iceland. Like, oh, someone would definitely like this. And, yeah. Went to the Blue Lagoon, which I think was my favourite. This beautiful, like, hot natural spring. And you're Ooh. swimming around this, like, milky blue water. And it's cool. like you're on the surface of some other planet. And Awesome. Very special. And, yeah, lots of wool. Iceland is a country uh, with the current exchange rate. It's an expensive trip. But the wool, oh boy, that's reasonable. So, uh, three jumpers worth. Back reasonable in the suitcase. Wool. Reasonable wool. It doesn't quite work. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Um, that sounds pretty great. It was. You would like it. I will you hopefully should go. go there. You should. I would like to. Yes. Oh, I will. <laughs> More puns like that coming up. <laughs> so, news. As you can uh, probably have heard on a recent podcast, uh, Bristol Ivy <laughs> is ready to pre-order. As we said, you go through the website, or you go through Merit. You might have a local yarn shop near you. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe find out if they're doing pre-orders. And if not, get, you know, tell them to get in touch. Encourage them. Yeah, so um, as we already said, the book is hardback. Oh, boy. Um, it's 200 pages, so it's bigger. If you're carrying that back from a binders, you'll feel the weight. <laughs> you'll know the quality. all about it. Um, lots of patterns. 16 patterns, to be precise. 15. 15. 15 patterns, six garments, guys. Yes. The rest of them are accessories. Exactly. So uh, it also includes a little stitch dictionary, which More is exciting. More on that later. Um, and creative exercises to help you think outside the box. Yeah. Oh, wait. Whoa, whoa there. Whoa there. And yeah, Bristol talks about her design process. It really is sort of so rich in the content. You're not sort of getting a traditional pattern book, which you know, we all love them with a pattern on oh, the yeah, knitting. But there's uh, it's something that you're going to be able to revisit again and again. Like, I mean, even we've been reading it several times. <laughs> Repeatedly for a while there. <laughs> but even then, I was... I was you know, it's the excitement of being able to think like, oh, I can sit down with these exercises and go through this again and sort of return to this as a as a real tool, as a as a knitter, as a creative, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a lovely inspirational book. We're very excited. Yeah, about it. it's like a nice combination of a resource and a pattern book. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can totally read it, knit the patterns. Sure. But especially, I think it's it's really for all kinds of knitter types. But if you're an aspiring designer, mm-hmm. it's got some really great kind of ways to start thinking about fabric differently maybe um getting out of any i don't know if rut is the right word because any boxes any boxes yeah you trapped in a box get Get out of it (laughs) with our help well bristol's help many many bristol (laughs) (laughs) and if any of you are going to be at rhinebeck i will be there with the books and bristol and megan and maybe a few other pom pals yeah so we have wool journey which is one of our exciting publications from this year as well and uh, Fancy Tiger Ladies, Jamie and Amber will be there signing, uh, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. You can journey through Shetland with them. And also the issue one reboot, because of course we Pom Pom Turn 5, and we reprinted issue one, and you get Lydia to sign your Pom Pom, mm-hmm. along with Megan, because you guys designed all the patterns in that first <laughs> issue. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to notice that my notes for this... Uh, Podcast includes mention Yarndale, nice sheeps, nice peeps. Oh, yeah, you don't want to miss that. No. <laughs> tell and tell. This is where we tell you guys and each other what we've been knitting. 
Lydia, what have you been knitting? <laughs> well, I've been working on... So you might remember from the last episode that I was stuck with what yarn to use for my Ellie Belindi. I do. You asked Juju. I did. And I asked myself and I swatched many yarns and I wandered alone and lost. It was very confusing. And then I was lucky enough to go to Brighton for an afternoon to see the lovely um, Emily Foden of Viola Yarns. We might be working on a book with. And when we say might, we, we mean are. we are. <laughs> so yeah, if you're not excited enough, uh, you can't. You think what are those guys? A pump I'm going to do next. I mean Bristol. That sounds amazing. What could they follow up with? We're going to have uh, Emily Foden doing a book for us. Whee! Hey. So I went. Uh, Emily was uh, in Brighton, which is not far from London. So I went down there to meet her and um, talk book, but also <laughs> not talk shop, talk book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but we happened to talk book in a shop, and that was Yak, which is yarn and knitting, based in Brighton. Um, and the lovely... Sorry, where were you? <laughs> um, and the lovely Kate, who is the owner of Yak, let us hang out in her shop. Um, and I found the perfect yarn. Fun, my... Funny that, I found some yarn. <laughs> I just happened to, well, I did think, hmm, maybe I'll get some good yarn there. And I got some of the Dererum Natura Ulysses, Ulysses. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, it's kind of a sport weight, and I got um, a kind of natural brownie colour after spending all that time talking about brown with Juju. It seems like <laughs> yeah. that has uh, really uh, entered my colour palette subconscious. Um, and I've got most of it done. You're a quick knitter. Uh, I also had some quite long plane rides. Oh, right, Although right. the plane ride home, I couldn't knit for lots and lots. It's a really long story, so I won't bore anyone with it. But suffice to say, I did get a free glass of champagne. Anyway, <laughs> every story should end like that. <laughs> um, and aside from that, I finished weaving a scarf the other day. And that was very fun because it had been on the loom for months. Been looming. Looming. Basically, yes, because it was taking up about half the living room. What's rooming. different about this scarf that you've done this time? Well, I have a whole Pinterest board of weaving related items, mm -hmm. of course, obviously. Um, and I went a bit nuts pinning lots of weaving drafts, I believe they're called, which are a bit like charts, but okay. for weaving. Um, I should really get somebody to like teach me properly how to use them, but I pretty much just guessed. I mean, look, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I got it right. I just, because I have a rigid head loom, it's quite limiting in terms of what you can do. Why? So, um, because you only have one heddle. And the Am I getting you, this right? The heddle's what you set the warp? Upon? Uh, it's what you use to create the different sheds. So the different... So what it passes different... through. Yes. Yes. Okay. So if you have several of those, then you can create... You can have... Different the... combinations. Yes. Yeah. So I can okay. only have two different, like, up or down, basically. Sure. Uh, anyone who is a good at weaving and <laughs> is finding this really painful, I'm very sorry. This is why I should get somebody to actually... We have a very good friend, actually, who's a pretty much expert. I mean, this is how you learn things. You, you know. Well, I've always been quite gung-ho about making things up as I go along. Um, this one is different because it was a different, a whole different kind of pattern that I hadn't done before. I did have a lot of trouble warping it because now if I did it again, I would be able to do it much better. Mm. Um, and I also didn't choose the most sensible yarn for the warp. It was a bit too sticky. So I managed, but it was a little bit... It would sort of stick to itself as the... Um, as the warp threads were passing each other. Okay. So that was a little bit, it slowed me down. So learning, lots mm. of learning weaving, but the end result is a very nice scarf, I think. But I think it's interesting as a, 
I think I'm not long about this because when I teach knitting, I think mm. it's very, I say at the beginning, like it's a good thing to try and learn something completely new as an adult because I think a lot of the time people say, I'm an adult, or you kind of you think I'm an adult, I know how to do things, I'm pretty much could figure out most things. Mm-hmm. And when you learn something completely from scratch, it's very hard to then accept. You're like, right, I don't know how to do this. And then to get past the point of where it starts becoming easy is a a good thing to keep doing. I think so. I think it's really important. I was actually, I was talking to my sister and her friend last night who were learning how to screen print, mm. teaching themselves. And they were saying like, oh God, you know, the first time we tried it, it was all blobby and, you know, was, and both of them like are very, very skilled painters. Mm. Um, uh, and I was like, I, you know, I was like, well, you know, you just got to keep doing it, which is exactly what they were doing. They didn't necessarily meet, need my advice, but I was like, oh, you're experiencing that thing where you're not good at something as an adult and yeah. you sort of forget what it's like and it feels much more stressful than it did when you were younger. Yeah. Well, this is, well, my analogy with this is I've started doing yoga, mm. maybe like a couple of months down the line now, but I'm not very physical in my movements a lot of the time. Like A lot of sitting at a desk. Yeah, sure. So like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we work in the same place. So... I spent a lot of the first lesson going oof and uh, feeling very bad at things. And it's very empowering to have that. It's hard work, but that moment when you do a thing that you've been doing like for weeks and weeks and weeks and you do it, and you're like, oh, that was maybe like 10% easier than it was last time. And that, yeah. I'm, like, I'm really getting a big kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a big kick out of, almost out of getting things wrong, like with weaving and with sewing, right. that I can just feel my brain going don't make that mistake again. Yeah. And it kind of goes in. Anyway, yes. So learning new things is good. Yeah. I mean, we talk about like, oh, and I made this and I did this. But at the same time, we also have the the struggles. The many, the many curves of the learning. Yeah. What exactly. have you been knitting? I Anything have been... <laughs> I've been knitting Tania for about five months now, which is from the spring issue. And I very, very nearly finished it. Oh boy, because oh, you were just about to work on the button band when we yes. were in Yarndale. Yeah, and then I was very tired. We were all pretty... <laughs> yes, you remember, I might remember I picked up some stitches and I was like, no. But uh, it's now travelled around several places waiting to be finished and I've got one side of it seamed. I was talking about it last podcast. I wasn't sure if the my gauge on the, the front and the back somehow was slightly oh, different. Oh, yeah. But when I sewed it, I was like, I'll sew it together, as Juju advised. And I was able to kind of fudge it a little bit mm. for a nice sort of elasticity. Looks quite malleable, isn't it? The, mm. uh, the old knit fabric. Yeah. Very soon I'm going to finish on that. And then... So it's not really like something I have been knitting. It's something I've been kind of plugging away with mm. for so long. I'm kind of frustrated how long it's taken me. But, I mean, five months for a garment. That's... I know. Whenever people ask you how long something takes, I'm always like, well, what else am I doing at that time? Yeah. How busy am I? <laughs> what is time when we think about it? That's really the answer you should give. <laughs> How long is a piece of string? Yeah. Is the one I give when I'm feeling shitty. The, the string I'm using to knit. <laughs> well, it's like when people used to ask, how much yarn do I need to make a scarf? And it's like, literally, how long is a piece of string? Abstract. Also, I started to jump for my dad, which is funny enough, exactly the same colour that you've chosen for your Ellie Belinde. So I'm making myself a dad jumper. Yeah, but mine's like the thicker version of the same yarn. And that is, um, I've to- chosen the pattern, which has really textured stitch pattern. It's called like a waffle stitch and it has like, you have to knit one below and it's kind of like moss stitch in the way it works. But because I'm so used to moss stitch and kind of like follow the pattern. And basically I've given myself a headache because the way you look at it, it's not obvious how it's working because you have the stitch below. Mm-hmm. 
And it's one of the few patterns, I'm talking about learning and stuff, I've had to like literally mark on a tally every time I do a row because I can't read the stitch pattern. It's mm. just, it's the way. Yeah. It looks beautiful. Yeah. And that's been a somewhat humbling experience. I do not know. If, you know, sort of say like, oh, I can't follow this by rotor. You know, I have to like be slower with it. Which is not great seeing I'm knitting to a deadline, trying to knit for his birthday. When's his but... birthday? Uh, beginning of November. <laughs> My dad's birthday is also in November. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Anyway. <laughs> it's my birthday tomorrow, guys. Hooray! Hooray! Anyway, if you ever want to talk to us about your projects, uh, we have the Ravelry forums. Just search for Pom Pom. There we are. Uh, there's a podcast forum within that where you can chat about the podcast and be like, hey, that was cool. Why, or why don't you do more of this? Or stuff like that. Feedback. Feedback. Yeah. <laughs> Known as Feedback. <laughs> And there's knit-alongs and all the fun pom things there. And just while we're talking about feedback, we had um, some very helpful feedback from one of our listeners who felt that um, using the word flattering wasn't a positive way to talk about um, making and people's experience of clothes and their bodies. Because, of course, we do live in a world that uh, mostly endorses very small range of ways to look attractive. Um, and of course, a lot of people use knitting and sewing and other crafts to make clothes that they enjoy uh, and that make them feel good. Um, that yeah, that make them feel good. So we just wanted to say, well, apologise for uh, making anybody feel uncomfortable in any way, and just kind of let everyone know that Pom Pom doesn't want to promote any idea that there's only one way to look or that clothes only serve the purpose of um, making you look a certain kind of acceptable way. So, as always, thank you for your feedback. Alright, so for review, we have two reviews, but our first main review is some delicious yarn, which uh, Lydia is holding at me like a, <laughs> a beautiful apple of potential. It's wound into a ball, so there we go. Yeah. Um, so we have Nature's Luxury on stage. Is that the name of the colour or the... That's the yarn, baby. Wow, on and it really stage. could be on stage. It could. Because it is kind of... Um... Well, it's kind of shiny with all the silk in there. It's a big showstopper. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is 50% wool, 30% silk, and 20% camel. Oh, boy. Have you ever knit with camel? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have too. But have you? I'm just doing that rhetorically. <laughs> it's surprisingly soft, a camel. This yes. is baby camel. <laughs> I know, you don't really think of camels as being... But then I guess you don't really think of goats as being massively soft. What's a baby camel called? Camlet. Camelit, yes. Camelit, camnittle. <laughs> it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. All right, um, so now we've got through that uh, highly uh, sophisticated scientific naming of the, <laughs> the cameloid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, wool, yes. This on stage, it's a kind of heavy four ply, more kind of almost sport weighty. Yeah. I could say. I think you could kind of, well, so it has a lot of drape. I mm. sort of use it, you could even go for the bigger needles to sort of let it. Let it be on stage. Let it take center stage. Why not? <laughs> so the colour I'm holding now is called Windswept. Ooh. And it's a kind of pretty... What did you call it? A light teal? Yeah, like an aqua, soft aqua light mm. teal. And uh, it's very, very subtly variegated. 
Yes, you get like a very soft, subtle change of colour, which is, I like that in a yarn. You know, it's not too blotchy. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've used it for a lace pattern. I have, yes, which I got from the Stitch Dictionary of Bristol's book. Oh, hey. See, because I have an advanced copy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, pre-order yours now. <laughs> so you use lace pattern three in the book, I see. <laughs> I did, yes. Um, yeah, because uh, yeah, I felt like this yarn with its lovely kind of drapey qualities, I could see it being used for some kind of shawl mm. or maybe a nice like lacy cardigan or something. So yeah. I thought a lace uh, stitch pattern would be a good way to kind of test it out with the with the drapiness of it because it has you know that 30 percent silk it's not too heavy mm. like you still get kind of the bounce from the the wool which mm. is a super fine merino if you're interested mm. so i think sometimes with a silk content i'm always aware of it being too heavy and drapey and losing yes. that shape and similarly with alpaca yes exactly uh which isn't in this yarn. no just but, a, uh, just so i know just thoughts alpaca <laughs> passing by hey <laughs> how i'm going now uh yeah so did you how did you find it to work with I found it very pleasing. I uh, first started on some bamboo needles I had okay. lying around because I thought, oh, silky. But then I switched back to metal ones. Interesting. Just a little Lydia sidebar there. And stitch definition, how are we finding that? Lovely. So pretty, yeah. Pretty good, though. Yeah. I'd say so, yeah, because it's got this kind of... Is it two or three plies? It's a four ply, that one. That's oh, a four. So it's got I counted nice... earlier. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the what nice uh, plied structure. Um... Uh, yeah, it's got excellent definition, mm -hmm. um, and it's got that kind of nice sheen to it, but it, you can definitely still feel the bounce of yeah. the wool in there. And kind of a little bit of a halo with the, yes. the mohair, not too, like, you sometimes get a flat matteness with the silk, mm. but you kind of, not the mohair, sorry, the camel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's quite, yeah, it's quite bouncy, I would say. Nice. Um, yeah, and I definitely enjoyed, I think, yeah, the colour is, and the shininess is a good uh, companion of this particular mm. colour as well. Cool. I would say. Well, excitingly enough, we have three skeins for you guys to win. And um, this is fun. The colours, when I started looking at this, I was like, hey, wait a minute. There's Betty Davis Eyes, Scandal Umrosie, and Kalimba de Luna. And these are all songs. And all the other 33 colours in this range of, on stage are named after songs. Songs that might be sung on stage? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Including... Well, so many great songs. Just go look it up, because I was like, oh, I know that one. And that one. That one's a George Michael one. And so that was my first clue with the George Michael one. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, so you could win some skeins of oh, this yes. gorgeous yarn. So go to the Pom Pom blog, where you'll also find all the show notes. We always write up all the info that you've just been listening to. We put it into words uh, that we put on a screen, which are a website. <laughs> Yes, thank you, uh, Nature's Luxury, for, first of all, sending us this yarn that we get to knit with. Oh, and boy. And also sending us the yarn that you will get to knit with. Which I, I had on my desk and kept squeezing, so it's nice and nice. nice. <laughs> it's still good yarn. You know? <laughs> it's still good. Excuse me, this yarn is pre-squeezed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, check out the blog where you can win these three screens. But wait, there's more. Whoa. We have part two of a review where we've been sent uh, Clara Park's new book, which is A Stash of One's Own, Knitters on Loving, Living With and Letting Go of Yarn. Indeed. And it's um, her newest book based on A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf, uh, who we went to see a ballet about. Not oh, we did. Ago, remember that, that was great. Um, um, 
And the famous quote, of course, is a woman must have money and a room of her own if she is to write fiction. Mm. So it's an anthology of stories that Clara's put together, a various famous uh, part of the knitterati throughout mm-hmm. uh, the world of knitting. Uh, their ideas of what it is for their, their stash, do they have a stash, what's their connection and their history and how they sort of, uh, yeah, what's the relationship they have with the yarn they own. So the the notion behind the Virginia Woolf thing, if, yeah, you have money, space, time, you could be a writer. Mm. If you have yarn, space, money, time, you have the potential to have all this creativity. Indeedy. So there were, um, well, I think Sophie's read, I have read part of the book. Sophie's read more of it, I think, Mm. than I have. One of the things I liked about it is that it is the, you know, the chapters, each story, kind of quite nice bite size. And I like being able to sort of pick it up and sort of jump into one um, you know, you don't have the same sort of narrative running through, so you get to read everyone's little nuggets of mm, deliciousness. Like little short stories. Basically. Like a mini skein, you know. <laughs> very good. Uh, very moving. Uh, I particularly found Franken's Habits very moving. Mm. I haven't um, read that one yet. I must read it. It's a good one. I think it's my favourite so far. Work like the work that Clara does is so important because it reminds everybody that the issues that are brought up by what we do are important ones and that we all have interesting things to share almost regardless of what the outside world thinks but it makes sure that we keep thinking about them deeply Mm. and don't become dismissive yeah and that's not just what we were saying i suppose in the context of like the knitting world that we are in Mm. which you know but separate to that and like the people listening sort of as knitters there's so much you know or just like as we are i don't know it's not the separation with that like how how the craft is viewed historically as mm. well, but even just the idea of it as a feminist issue or an idea of property and money and mm. how that is an identifier of, yes, yeah, status and sort of, yeah, mm. one's place in the world. Yeah, I guess the fact that knitting is a hobby rather than a necessity right, yeah. these days does change things wildly. Um, but yet, I found it to be, well, the part that I have read, the parts that I've read, mm-hmm. I have found to be... Uh, very interesting and inspiring. Yes. Well, continue to be inspired as we have, <laughs> for our interview for this podcast, we have a recording that was taken at Pomfest. Seems very long ago now. It does, doesn't it? Um, it really wasn't, but... Yeah. So we had <laughs> Clara talking about um, her book and the how a stash of one's own is about uh, yarn as a feminist issue. Mm. And so this is a... At the end of the talk, um, she read a chapter by Debbie Stoller, um, and Debbie Stoller, who you may recognise the name, she's the author of Stitch and Bitch, and also co-publisher and editor um, in chief of Bust magazine. Mm-hmm. And I think Chara says at the beginning of this clip, like she says, uh, Debbie just got it. She got what Clara was trying to say yeah. in this book. Um, and as a fun aside, um, there were a few close pom pom pals who oh, wrote yeah. um, little mini chapters for Clara's book, including Anna Motz, who of course writes a regular column, mm-hmm. uh, and hosted the Knitters in the Round talks, uh, and is just an all-round champion. She's pretty cool. <laughs> She's pretty yeah. great. Uh, and Rachel Atkinson, who of course used to be our lead tech editor and has now moved on to focus on Daughter of a Shepherd, her mm. incredible yarn company who really promote uh, British breeds um, and create beautiful yarn in the process probably a good opportunity to say thank you to Rachel for yeah. working with us for so long and doing such a brilliant job and we're sad to see her go but we're so excited that um you know Daughter of a Shepherd is 
putting something so brilliant into the world. Definitely. And just as a last little note, one of the chapters I did read was Lilith Green's of uh, Old Maiden Aunt, Aunt uh, who I think was one of the first people whose hand dyeing I came across and like was one of my first experiences of hand dyed yeah. yarn. I had a, a good one to have. Of, yeah. yeah, right. Um, I had a skein of last night's red dress, which is a really pretty colour. Good Beth Orton song as well. There we go. Another person who names... Uh, oh, yeah. She always had her kind of mixtape style uh, collections. And she talks about um, her experience of um, growing up in the world that we've all grown up in where you're supposed to look a certain way and if you don't, you're kind of told that you have to look a certain mm. way to be happy and be acceptable and all those sorts of things. And she talks about flattering, which I know I kind of mentioned earlier. Uh, and she had a really great quote, which I hope she and Clara won't mind me reading here, which is, my body is not a problem to be solved, which I thought was a really Amen. nice summary of, yeah, of a like positive journey, hopefully. Well, we hope you enjoy this reading from Clara. It's important to have a space of your own for the materials that give you great, great pleasure. That you can go into, like your cathedral, your church, you can go in there and be quiet and it, it, it doesn't have to be lined with 5,000 skeins. Like I'm, not, I'm not urging you to be a hoarder. But a space where there are assembled quality tools and materials that contain hope, they contain inspiration and pleasure, and they contain memories. Stashes, for me, two-thirds of what my stash is, is a journal of where I've been and who I was with. And there are a lot of skeins that are by people who are no longer even with us. It's so much more than basically material in a pantry to be used. It has no expiration date. So um, with that, I wanted to read you. So in this book, I said now I would be like a huckster. In this book, um, there was, I really wanted to try to touch on this in a way that was respectful. And... Um, there's only one person I would really trust about this in the knitting world, and it's Debbie Stoller, who not only wrote Stitch and Bitch, but she's also the editor of Bust Magazine, and she has a PhD in feminist studies from Yale. So she's a smart cookie. So I said, Debbie, here's my thought, here are my feelings, here's the title of the book. And she said, I've got it. And she really, really did nail it. And I wanted to read it to you. It's called uh, A Stash of One's Own, Yarn as a Feminist Issue. When I first got into knitting in the late 90s, I quickly realized that there was an entire alphabet soup of abbreviations and acronyms I would need to learn, such as SSK and K2TOG, in order to become proficient in this craft. But as I began to spend time on knitting blogs and message boards, I saw there were quite a few more I'd need to familiarize myself with as well, such as WIP, UFO, KIP, and LYS. There was one, however, that baffled me for quite a while before I figured it out, DH. Eventually, I came to understand that DH meant dear husband, and I noticed that the acronym appeared in two main conversation topics 
The first, of course, was when folks would talk about the things that they were making for DH, including socks, hats, and huge sweaters. But almost as often, DH would come up in conversations about people's yarn stashes. Many knitters, it seemed, were concerned about hiding theirs from their DH. I have never had a DH, although I have had an LTB, long-term boyfriend, for the past two decades. My LTB, however, is not an LIB, live-in boyfriend. Also, I am not FD, financially dependent, on my DLTB. <laughs> As a result, we have never had a conversation about my yarn stash, and I have never given any thought to hiding it from him. So perhaps I'm the last person on earth who should be weighing in on what all this hiding the yarn stash from DH kerfuffle is all about. Yet as both a feminist and an I Love Lucy fan, I feel I must. Because the first image that comes to mind whenever I read about a knitter admitting that she has just purchased new skeins of yarn that she must hide before DH finds out is that fabulous redhead. I'm thinking of those episodes of the classic TV show where Lucy would have bought something, usually a new hat. I'm guessing hats were the, sort of the shoes of the 50s, because really, even as a knitter, who needs so many hats? And would have to find a way to hide it from Ricky. He had either told her at the beginning of the episode that she already had too many hats, or that she had to stick to her monthly household budget, or she'd have loads of splainin' to do. But Lucy, she just couldn't help herself. She'd see the perfect hat and she'd buy it. And then she'd have to find a place to hide it before Ricky got home. Hilarity would ensue. And sometimes at the end, Lucy would be taken over Ricky's knee and spanked. Because that was a totally fine thing to do in the 50s. <laughs> at least on I Love Lucy it was. Watching Lucy in reruns as a child in the 70s was one of many things that primed me to become a feminist when I grew up. Even at age 10, it was obvious to me that women had the deck stacked against them. For one thing, there were few opportunities for work outside the home, except from, say, a job at a chocolate factory. For another, even when they worked hard to keep up their sides of the bargain, keeping the home clean, doing the laundry, and the cooking, and the child-rearing, they still weren't entitled to an equal say in the family's finances. So as much as I loved Lucy, I knew I didn't want a life like hers. I wanted a future where women and men were equal partners, where even if one of them was the primary wage earner, the money would belong to both of them equally. I didn't want to grow up in a world where a husband was more like a parent than a partner, doling out an allowance and punishing you when you were naughty. But once I was an adult and living in that future, what was I to make of women on these knitting message boards who were still seemed to be trapped in some modern-day Lucy Ricky hat scenario? Giving it some thought, I came to the conclusion that there were really only three reasons that someone would need to hide their yarn collection from their life partner. The first would be that they're planning to make something with that yarn for said partner, and they want it to be a surprise. But in that case, there would be only a small amount of yarn that would need to be hidden. Certainly one's entire stash 
wouldn't be devoted to creating things only for the man of the house. Another reason to hide one's stash, I suppose, is because one's DH is usually also a roommate or a housemate, and the space has to be shared fairly. And if someone's yarn stash is getting so out of control that they are taking over more than their fair share of storage space, then yes, they may not want to disclose to their DH that they just bought an additional garbage bag full of closeout yarn. But if this is the case, then they'd want to keep it from their DD, daughter, and DS, son, as well, or anyone else sharing a roof with them in their abundance of yarn. And if one's yarn stash is beginning to overtake their living space, then they just might be a hoarder. They certainly shouldn't hide this fact from their DH, although, who are we kidding, he probably already knows. Instead, they need to get help, lest they end up sleeping on a bed covered so high in yarn balls that they need to use a ladder just to get into it. On the other hand, perhaps they don't want their DH to see the yarn they've stored away because then he would know how much money they've spent and continue to spend on this hobby of theirs. Again, I don't know how different couples decide to work out their finances, but here there should certainly be no secrets. And if they think he'd be upset because really the two of them are strapped for cash and the roof needs fixing, and they can barely buy enough baby and cat food to keep all their dependents in delicious mush, then they have no business buying yarn at all, especially if they already have a yarn stash. I mean, what kind of person would want to share this type of fiscally irresponsible behavior in an online message board, such as one on Ravelry titled Flash Your Stash, with a picture of their living room furniture entirely covered in yarn balls, and a note saying that the photo could only be taken when DH was out of the house. These folks also might need to get help, unless they plan on fixing that holy roof with yarn balls. It would felt, I guess, but I wouldn't recommend it. No, while each of these are reasons women often give for why they are secretive about their stash, I think there is another reason that they frequently feel compelled to hide their yarn from their DH, and it actually has very little to do with their DH at all. I think many women are uncomfortable about having a large collection of balls and skeins and hanks because it runs counter to what is expected of them as women. That's because a yarn stash makes a pretty large statement to the world that a woman is planning to spend hours, nay, years of her life engaging in something that doesn't promise to make her skinnier or look younger or give her a tighter butt. <laughs> something that won't make her a better mother or a better wife. That she is dedicated to finding time now and for the foreseeable future to do something that, unlike cooking, doesn't really benefit anyone but herself. Okay, yes, we make things for other people, but come on, we knit because we enjoy it. It announces to the world that she has decided to do something just for herself in the pursuit of only one thing, pleasure. A yarn stash takes up a lot of room, too. Yarn balls are quite a bit larger than spools of thread or embroidery floss or even books. Developing a yarn stash requires a commitment of space that many other hobby supplies don't command. And in almost all circumstances, women are expected to take up as little space as possible. 
And in much the same way that Virginia Woolf once argued that if women were to become successful writers, they needed money and a room of one's own, accumulating a yarn stash means that one has succeeded not just in literally securing a room of your own, the space a stash requires, but also that a woman has figuratively made room in her life for this hobby, this craft, this form of meditation from which she gets so much enjoyment. All of this runs counter to what society expects from women. We are certainly not encouraged to indulge in anything for the mere sake of pleasure, except for a small piece of chocolate once a week, or maybe a bubble bath. I mean, how many times have you seen women's magazines or websites promote a weekend of indulgence that includes baths, face masks, or possibly a pedicure? These seem to be some of the few acceptable ways that we women are allowed to treat ourselves. But when I think of an indulgent weekend, I think of having pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think of staying out all night drinking whiskey and flirting with younger men. I think of spending an entire day in my pajamas knitting and watching documentaries on Netflix. I certainly don't think of a bath. <laughs> in fact, taking care that one is clean and pore-free and has her talons in tip-top form isn't an indulgence for women, it's an imperative. There's no indulgence in doing what one's already expected to do. Now, I know that no women's magazine is ever going to encourage women to indulge themselves by buying more yarn. But they've got it all wrong. Because every time a person buys yarn for a future project they're going to make someday, they're reaffirming their commitment to spend many delicious hours doing something they love. A woman's growing stash is a monument to her never-ending, happily-ever-after love affair with yarn to the ongoing respect for her craft, and to the value of doing something just for herself. And none of these are things that women should be ashamed of, or feel guilty about, or laugh off with an embarrassed shrug. And they certainly aren't anything one should be hiding from the human with whom they have decided to share their life. Because the way I see it, it's sexism, pure and simple, that makes a woman feel ashamed of her yarn stash, while her husband, who has enough parts in the garage to make five motorcycles, doesn't display the slightest bit of embarrassment about it. It's sexism that makes a woman believe that an investment in hundreds of dollars of skin creams promising to restore her youth is an acceptable expenditure when the same amount spent on yarn is considered to have been squandered because our culture expects women to be forever young. It's sexism that makes hobbies engaged in mostly by women, such as knitting, considered frivolous wastes of time, while those engaged in mostly by men, such as fishing or golf, are never judged as harshly. So I say to women, flaunt your stash, own it. Find a way to share your space and your finances with your DH that seems fair and equal because no modern partnership should be based on anything less. Then fill that closet or those shelves or that craft room or that suitcase with as much yarn as you can fit and afford. Stake your place in the world inside a circle of yarn balls. Stand up for your right to life, 
liberty, and the pursuit of a yarn stash. It's your duty as a knitter and as a woman. Well, how inspiring. And uh, I feel very lucky to have been one of those people in the audience to watch that talk at Pompest. Yeah, it was a really um, magical yeah. experience. If you do get the chance to hear Clara talk, I know she's doing a lot of tours at the moment around mm -hmm. the States for her book. Um, yeah, after that little taster, we uh, highly encourage you to see if you can find her in a space near you. And Indeed. maybe if you can't, you can have a little bit of Clara uh, in your pocket soon. <laughs> oh, your pocket. <laughs> Got Clara in my pocket. And in the... the other one's... Holding a skate of yarn. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could be that person. Uh, because we have a copy of Clara's book to give away. Along with the Nature's Luxury Skeins we have. What a super duper bumper giveaway. It's quite good as well. Because it's like a stash of one's own with a mini stash. Yes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so great. We're so clever. Uh, so yes, go to the blog and uh, you'll find out how to enter. Top three. I've had people say this is their favourite part of the podcast. I have also heard this on the grapevine. The knitting grapevine. Very good. Uh, which is interesting because we always kind of feel like the top three is... It's a little indulgent, right? It's a bit silly. It's just us listing things. But hey, you like it, we do it. Within reason. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not familiar with the concept, let me explain this highly detailed... <laughs> system we have we choose a topic a thing and then we list the top three of these things and then it's from a three to one one to being one. the best or most liked it's a hot debate get ready strap yourselves in <laughs> so for this um on the theme of yarn <laughs> a just... frequent theme of this podcast unsurprisingly Often <laughs> But on the theme more specifically of stash, yes, um, as just discussed by Clara herself, um, we, under the very sound advice of one A.B. Collins, decided mm -hmm. to list our top three stash yarns. And within that, it's sort of, we were discussing this, like, oh, what have you put? So it's stash yarns that we are excited to knit with, mm -hmm. stash yarns that we respect and admire. Mm -hmm. Too much to knit with them. Yes. Uh, stash yarns that are just uh, fun. <laughs> yes. Um, we often make things quite broad, don't we? And then afterwards we're like, so what do I do? Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter. I think you should go first, Sophie, because you seem more ready. As long as you stick with the theme of yarn, we'll be fine. Um, number three, a recent acquisition, mm -hmm. um, which I'm very happy to have added to my stash. What's that? You're pointing at me. What? I'm pointing at you because I was going to guess and then I thought no. Oh, go guess. Icelandic? Yeah! Yay! 10 points. So all the Lopi yes, yarn and a gold star. that I bought in Iceland, very happy about. the. I got some Lopi, which is like a really intense green, but then the heatherness of it has like purple, yellow, blue in it. Mm. It's so dark green. It's almost black, but it's not because it has that richness. Oh, like and we were talking about with Juju, the yes, very dark colours that have yes. the... What did she call them? Chromatic blacks. Yes, so it's kind of like that, but like a deep foresty green. And it makes me think of the lava fields in Iceland. So I'm very excited about that. And then I've got a couple kind of combi colours with that. And then I ended up getting some <laughs> more yarn, um, which is like the P Pilap Lopi? 
Petalopi? Like know. comes as the big. She's making a squishing. Like action. just squishing. <laughs> it comes as like the really big cakes. Okay. Like dinner plate size, like flat cakes of yarn. Very cool. And it's like hasn't. It's like roving almost, so it hasn't mm-hmm. been twisted. And the idea is that you, which I only find out on the trip when I was talking to someone, is that you meant to hold strands together to make the different ah. thicknesses. So I'm very excited about that. And also just aesthetically, like big old cakes of yarn. What more could you remind you of your trip to Iceland? It does. Yay! Okay. Pretty pro pro Iceland right now. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, I have a skein which I got from backing a Kickstarter, which was Caitlin French, Ooh. and it is um, a BFL Aran weight, and it's naturally dyed because, as we know, that's her thing, and it's logwood and weld mm. with uh, the mordant is alum and iron. Alum? Yes. Mm-hmm. And Alan, the, <laughs> who's Alan? <laughs> the the label as well. It's like hand sewn fabric, and it's like written and written, you know, oh my in God, pen. Amazing. With a little like coloured in moon logo, and just as an object, <gasps> it's like so beautiful. Like the love and care and attention in this skein of yarn. That when it arrived, I was just like, oh, what do I knit with you? I can't think of anything so. Like amazing, it's like this wonderful uh, dusty purple and the with a creamy kind of green tone to it as well, and Ooh. it's something that's very special. And it's you know it's sat in my stash for quite a while, but it's almost like an eminent object. What was the Kickstarter? It was for a book called um, These Dark Woods, um, which is one of her first books about knitting patterns, natural dye recipes, and it has brilliant photos. Says the blurb. <laughs> Um, so yes, that felt that was like a very magical part of my story. I don't think I've seen this yarn. No. Well, I'll show you it one day. Very good. I look forward to it. And number one <gasps> is, because I'm very excited about knitting with it, is some viola yarn that I got pompest, which is to knit the soiree uh, Emily designed from issue 21. Mm. And uh, yes, I don't think it will be stashed for long because I want to get started on that jumper. Mm-hmm. What colour is it? So it's uh, cosmic and meteorite. Mm. So super magical space yarn. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I like to knit with. And, you know, it reminds me of Pompfest and all the lovely people and things that happened then. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Magical. Ah, my stash of my own. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my stash, well, Sophie has part of hers catalogued on Ravelry. I have I zero pa- catalogued anywhere. Um, but that's the stuff. So, mm, so when I moved house, some of my stash went to live at my parents' house. <laughs> so it's catalogued <laughs> on Ravelry. Ah, I see. Mm-hmm. That's very smart. Yes, because I decided I could only move with as much stash that I could carry. Like I could only physically pick up in one bag. That was my arbitrary rule. It's quite a good one, though. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I have more yarn than that. Although not a crazy. Yeah, the stash is growing. Sure. Anyway. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I couldn't pick. Well, I could pick it all up in one go, but it's a different amount. Like to pick up all in one go. Mm. Now I'm set in a place. I added to my stash at Yarndale. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh wait, ask me what I bought at Yarndale. What did you buy at Yarndale? I bought a wooden dog. <laughs> We were at the pub oh after the first God. day. You're like, oh, did you get any yarn? I was like, no, I got this carved wooden dog. It made me laugh for so long. I don't really know why. And then I was talking to the wonderful Katie Green, who, um, of course, has done many brilliant graphic novel 
style illustrations for us as well as um, some non-graphic novel style illustrations for us and now works at Blacko. Um, and for some reason I told her about Sophie's wooden dog and I was like, ask Sophie about the dog. Yeah. I did get out of the pub, you know, like, hey, it's about six inches high and it's obviously been carved by someone's like relative, like, you know, 40 years or something. And it's just kind of so stocky and sweet and it has like a lovely tactile feel. It's like sound a little plinth. Still a little plinth. It's great. What's it called? Barker. <laughs> Not Woody? No, I like Barker. Or... It's more Emerald. Twiggy? No. It's kind of got a bit of a monobrow as well. It, just kind of <laughs> make, it makes me happy. Uh, is that the only thing you bought? And I bought some fabric from In the Wool Shed. Oh, yes. I too bought some fabric from In the Wool Shed. Mm who um emma of in the wool shed who is a natural dyer uh, and she teaches um classes both um at her studio and also you can go on trips with her to mm. india and she brings back beautiful block printed fabrics from there and both me and sophie indulged and have some lovely fabric there's also an article on issue 18 with uh, natural dyeing and what she does that's fun mm. anyway stash of my own stash of lydia's own okay I found this very difficult. But all I your have four. All your stashes are beautiful and loved and respected then. Exactly. Let's have four. <laughs> this is groundbreaking. This is No, I don't think we can have four. Oh, can I'm I right. just tell you one quick thing that I bought at Yarndale? Sure. Which hasn't been actually added to the stash yet. It's okay. still in a bag, so it's different. Okay. I bought some very nice uh tuku wool mm. to make a jumper that has not yet been released. It's from the winter issue upcoming, oh, the one that we yes. did the photo shoot for. Of course, I have an advanced peek at that. Well, it's reassuring that you know what's happening. Yeah, well, just about. Uh, yeah, so that's just a little sidebar. Well, we'll hear more about that in a future I'm episode. sure we I'm will, sure. hopefully. And if you don't hear anything more about it, then just give me a prod and be like, what about that thing you were going to make? But not too much, because I'm easily distracted. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so at number three, and I did find this very difficult, I have... This is something I'm very excited to weave with because I made a scarf using um, Rachel Atkinson's Daughter of a Shepherd Hebridean uh, and I mixed in some other yarns uh, produced by John Arbin, some of his Knit by Numbers and some of the Viola. So the main scarf bit, the main body of the scarfness <laughs> is dark brown, the colour of the Hebridean sheep and then there's like fun stripes of other colours and <laughs> Sorry, I can just hear Eli's, Eli's doing DIY. to drill something. <laughs> you might not hear that. Um, Terrible producer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just go and talk into this microphone and I'll drill in the corner. Just do some light DIY. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I made this scarf and I kind of made it up as I went along. But I enjoyed it so much, the it's finished a product. beautiful one, that, yeah. That I got two more skeins of the Hebridean DK from Rachel at Pomfest, in fact, mm. um, to make a second version of it. And I'm really excited because I still have probably enough odds and ends of um, the John Arbin other yarns that I used. And it's fun because John Arbin spins Rachel's yarn, so it's all from the same mill. The lovely poetry to that. Exactly. So I'm very excited about that, sitting ready, the two skeins and then the other little colours all around, and I'll probably do like a different configuration of colours. Uh, and the stickiness of the yarn lends itself really well. Nice. So that's... Um, very excited about making mm -hmm. that. At number two, I have some Shillister. Nice. Not a big surprise to anybody who has ever talked to me about knitting. Shillister is one of my favourites. They're luxury uh, four-ply or DK. The one I have is the DK. 
And they're kind of on a hiatus at the moment because the company was sold. Yeah, sort of changing hands. Mm. So still going to be still doing the same thing, but with yeah, people so behind think, the wheel. So. Yeah, the people who were running it are potentially training the new people I think in that's the what's ways happening. of yeah. the dying. Um, so, but what I've got is actually the undyed uh, Shillister base, which is called Fleece Cloud. Mm, nice. And I've had it for a really long time. I started knitting a jumper with it about five years ago mm. um and i got about half a jumper actually and then i just decided that it was not for me and i had one of those really good days where you just go through all your projects and sort of seriously think about whether or not you're going to finish something and if you're not just rip yeah. it out there and then the yarn can have a yep. second life and i did that with the jumper and so i have a whole jumpers quantity of this really beautiful fleece cloud and i've been dreaming of all sorts of things to do with it and I think I was saying to you and Amy that I wanted to make a jumper with it and then dip dye it. Mm, yes, yeah. Uh, potentially using the tutorial that uh, in the wash so I did. Linking together Whoa, very nicely. So yeah. It's like I thought about it and I actually didn't. Um, <laughs> so that is number two because um, also because I bought it from Loop mm -hmm. where we used to work. Yeah. Strong connections to Loop. Oh yeah, love Loop. Um, okay, and at number one, can you guess? I don't know why you would be able to guess. I feel like it's... Oh, I can't guess. Well, we actually have matching number ones. Oh. Because my number one is also Viola. Nice. But I'm going to go with a skein of sock yarn, which uh, Emily dyed. So for our issue one reboot, me and Megan wanted to... Um, we, we used sort of slightly different yarns and different colours and things to kind of put a new spin on everything and slightly change some of the patterns, including the kipper socks. Um, and we wanted a kind of cool, magical-looking purple for the socks, and so we asked Emily um, if she could dye us one, and of course she could and did, and she named it Lydia, well, which was really sweet, and it's such a beautiful colour, and I've got a skein of it um, sat next to my bed, basically. <laughs> bed yarn. I mean, I've got quite a lot of yarn on the desk next to my bed, but that is also one of them, um, and I don't know if I'll ever really knit with it. I'm not yeah. sure. It's just so beautiful, because I've already... I mean, I made the socks sure. out of one of the stains yeah. that she sent. Um, and of course, somebody quite recently, or two people quite recently, won some of that same yarn, I think, from the same dialogue, mm. the giveaway that we did. But yes, it was just, it's a nice reminder of um, the lovely connections of the knitting world. And it's such a pretty colour, it makes me happy. Lovely. So, that was a stash of Lydia and Sophie's own. <laughs> and, well, I guess that's... As coming to the end of the podcast. It certainly is. I feel like we're running low on sugar now. Things are getting <laughs> a little bit less uh, giddy. Well, we need to let you guys know that the podcast, well, still continuing, but the next mm -hmm. couple of episodes are going to be slightly different format as uh, Eli is going to be on paternity leave. He certainly is. He um, and his lovely fiance are expecting a little baby Yay! very soon, um, which is very exciting. And this baby will, of course, have tiny things made for it. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but yes, in order that, because um, we uh, record and edit most of the time at Eli's house, and in order to give the young family some space, Eli will uh, be taking a little break. So we'll still have the podcast. We'll have uh, some fun recordings that were done at Pomfest mm -hmm. over the next couple of months, but uh, not as much chattage in the next couple of ones. But uh, we'll be back. Well, I'll probably be most likely back for Christmas, do something then. Yeah, I think so. Um, but you can keep in touch through all the usual ways. Uh, podcast at pompommag.com. 
and uh, by the Ravelry Forum, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice people hanging out there. We've got all the Instagrams and Twitters and Facebooks and all those things as well. Indeed, if you have at any point any suggestions, for example, for top threes or maybe other segments, anything else, um, be a good idea for us to stockpile those for when we come back. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. Uh, if you ever had any what would you do do's, mm-hmm. always love to hear from them as well. Uh, from them? From them people who have them. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Bye, Pomcats. Bye! Pomcats is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott. With lots of help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. For more Eli-related music, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks, as always, to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly. And thanks also to lovely Amy and Gail. Thanks to our sponsors, Nature's Luxury. Thanks to Clara Parks for letting us use her recording from Pompas. And of course, a big thank you to all you Pom Pom buyers and subscribers and listeners. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe at our online shop, pompommag.com forward slash shop. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. And why not leave a review? Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum. <laughs>